Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Man, I am glad that y'all are here today. Uh, Hey, we're going to do our confession and everything in a minute, but we want to take a second and honor and pray for and remember back to school. You remember last week when uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, as you're going, right, heal the the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, do all these things. Freely you have received, freely given. We made kind of a point out of that as you're going thing, right? Like this whole discipleship journey that we're, thing that we're on is not like this extra trip, right? It, it really is as you go and as you walk. And the, the idea was the kingdom goes with us, with you. And so I am, and I think River City is, uniquely, like I think every kind of church and every has like a, a, a thing, right, that God just puts on their heart in that congregation. Our thing is kids. Like we love kids. And, and here's the thing that we know we don't have any control over what happens right in people's homes, and we don't, there, there's so many things that we just don't have control over. But as an educator, whether you are a teacher in a classroom, whether you are a para, whether you are a custodian, whether you are an administrator, a front office worker, wherever it is and whatever it goes, during those hours during the day, you have the opportunity to, without putting the name on it, you have an opportunity to be Jesus for a bunch of kids that we don't know anything else about their life. And that is a powerful thing. And so we want to, what I want to do today is if you are a, if you're a teacher, will you stand up at any level, a homeschool teacher, if you homeschool your kids, will you please stand up and just stay standing? We want to see if you're a teacher. If you are, yeah, if you are a, yeah, if you are a, uh, a specialist, if you are a reading specialist, or if you are a helper, you help with uh, dyslexic, or you help in with students in, in math or whatever, if you would you please stand up? If you are an administrator at a school, would you please stand up? If you are a custodian, if you work at central office for a school district, if you work in any way at a school, would you please stand up? In the room, good. That's a lot of you. Good. I do want to, yeah, let's clap. Stay standing. In just a second, we're going to ask if you're around and you're comfortable, would you go just, we just want to pray with some of these folks and listen. Here's the deal. The Lord knows the students and the parents that are coming your way this year. And I don't believe that it is an accident. And what I want to tell you and what we're going to pray for in just a second, we commission you as missionaries from River City Church to go into the schools and go into the offices and the places where you are and take the kingdom with you. And love like no one else loves and serve and humble yourself and speak truth and speak life and speak love and goodness wherever you go because Jesus is with you. And you are the opportunity that you just don't know. You don't know what kid is going to cross your path today. So if you're around these folks, would you just gather around and we can lay a hand on their shoulder if you're comfortable with that. Uh, And if you're a teacher and you're not comfortable with that, just smile and go, no thanks. Right? That's okay. That's good. (laughs) Prayer in the time of COVID is an interesting thing, isn't it? But we just, we just want to pray together. Will you pray? Lord, thank you that you give us the opportunity to bring you into spaces. And Lord, I am so grateful for each of these teachers. Lord, I believe that being a teacher is a calling. I believe it is a high and a noble calling. And I pray that each of these teachers and administrators and office workers and custodians and central office workers, I pray that 
every one of them, Father, would have a sense of your spirit today. And I pray that they would know that this is their mission. This is the place where you will interact and work. And Father, there's a lot of the details with curriculum planning and discipline and all of those things. Father, I pray that there would be a tangible sense of your presence there. Lord, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. In this kind of current climate, there's a lot of push and a lot of backlash and a lot of distraction just from the stuff. So I pray, Father, that you would give each of these courage, that you would give them boldness, that they would know, Father, that you see them, that you are their defender, that you are their protector. And I pray that they would love and serve and give. And I pray, Father, that the students this year that cross their paths will know that they have been loved. Father, we're so thankful that we're in a place where we can gather together and pray. I thank you that um, we can pray in schools because when we're in school, we can pray. And I pray that we would. I pray that each of these, as they walk down the halls, that they would pray, that they would listen for your voice. And I pray, Father, that you would be very real and very present in our schools this year. We thank you. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that your spirit is moving and leading and guide us, guiding us. And we ask that everybody would hear your voice, would know your name, and would follow you. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you so much. And we ask all these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you, teachers. We, we are grateful for you. And now, as we uh, kind of move into the rest of our, uh, we move into the rest of our service, we begin with our confession. And our confession, and this, here's a great thing. This holds for the schools, too. Every student that walks into your classroom, this is true. Well, the first part we know is true, right? You have an opportunity to be the demonstration of the second part, right? So our confession as a congregation, as the church of Jesus is, we are badly broken. Deeply loved. Yes, you are. I am uh, glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time or the first time in a while, it is good to see you. We uh, started a message series last week called The Process, where we looked at kind of, we began by looking at our mission, because what we said about our mission is our mission helps us not only know what to do, but helps us to know what not to do. Our mission helps us understand what our place and our purpose in this place. God, why are we here? What is this about? Is this what it's about? Jesus, did you die on the cross so we could get together on Sunday morning? What is it about? And what we said is our mission statement that we kind of looked at last, last week is this. River City is a church for New Braunfels, authentically experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and in our community. And we looked at Jeremiah 29, right, how God sent his people into exile. And the idea in exile was, listen, even in Babylon, even where the entire culture is set up to be anti-God and what he is doing, even in that place, the people of God, being the people of God, are powerful. And so we have an opportunity as we go into schools and jobs and work and all of the places where we're going, we have an opportunity to be that kind of light, that kind of goodness. Our mission then is to be for people, and we are for people in a specific way. Our desire, based on what our, what our mission says, our desire we are for the idea that every single person in New Braunfels should experience God's love. 
because we know God's love, boy, it is redemptive. It turns things over, right? God's love looks like the cross. His love for us saved us, called us out, gave us a purpose, gave us a hope for eternity. We want everybody to experience that. And the way that that happens is through us. But what does it look like? This is where the process comes in. So we've, saw, we've seen our mission. For the next couple of weeks, for the next several weeks as we look at this, we're going to see how that happens. So the question becomes, imagine somebody had never been in church before. They've never experienced this. And they walked into this. And this may be you today. If you're here today, we didn't know you were coming. We're not talking about you, but welcome. We're glad you're here, right? What would it be like? I, I, I don't, I've been in church my whole life, so I don't know what it's like to walk into a new place. But if someone walked into church for the first time, they would see singing. They would see me standing up. They're like, oh, so they're going to sit in rows and they're going to sing. And then there's going to be a guy that's going to get up and talk. What does all that work? And the question is, what does that have to do with experiencing God's love, right? What is the Bible, you read the Bible, man, there's all kinds of weird stuff in the Bible, right? Like, how does that, what does that have to do with God? You see people volunteering and they're serving. Like, what does all of that have to do? If you invited a friend, an unchurched friend, to come this Sunday or next Sunday or, or whatever, and they'd never heard such, what would you hope for them? What would you want them to experience? In some way, my bet is you would want them to experience something of love. You would want them to be treated kindly. You would want them to feel seen. You would want someone to talk to them. You would want them to feel welcomed. But I, I bet, and I know for me, because I thought about this, what if I, you know, when I invite people, what do I want them I would want them to feel like there's something more than this. There's something more going on than just the songs and the message and the book and the volunteers. But let's scratch a little before that. Why are you here? What do you hope to get out of this? What is it that you are looking for? And this is a question all the way up, right? You may be the youngest person in the room. You may be the oldest person in the room. For both of you and everyone in between, what is it that you're looking for? And it can be easy to have a routine, right? It can be so easy to just have a rhythm of life that this is what we do on Sunday mornings or most Sunday mornings or some Sunday mornings. This is what we do. And so it just becomes a rhythm and a routine. And the question is, is that enough for you? Is that okay? Is that good? When we know our mission, it's crucial. We have to know what we're about. We are about loving our community in Jesus' name so that they know that God loves them. But unless we know how to get there, unless we know how to travel that direction, we won't. It's great to just go, hey, we've got a mission. And somebody's like, oh, great. Well, how are you doing it? How are you experiencing and expressing God's love in your life and community? He's going, I don't know. We just hope. <laughs> you know, we show up. We sit in chairs on Sunday morning and hope that gets it done, right? I get it, right? And there's no, there's no condemnation, there's no harm, there's no foul man because it's hard. What do you do? We're dealing with something that feels so intangible, right? Like we're dealing with, with a God who I can't like put my hands on his shoulders, right? Like that's the thing that Peter had over us, right? Peter could see Jesus and like hit him in the arm and shoulder, right? And we, on faith, we have to take that. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 10 today. If you've got a Bible, uh, I hope you do. Uh, you can turn there. We're going to set Luke 10 at the beginning of Luke 10, we find Jesus sending his disciples, 70 of his disciples, out on a mission trip. And he's like, hey, I want you to go out and do the things that we talked about last week, right? Like, like heal and cleanse and cast out and do all of those things as you go. And so the disciples come back and they're like, Jesus, it worked. And Jesus like, I knew it. And so like there's this 
party. Jesus is like, man, I saw Satan fall from heaven. And he's giving high fives, and there's this big moment. Everybody's super pumped. And then this guy, we're told he's a lawyer. He comes up to Jesus, and he says, well, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And the, 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 uh, the lawyer guy, because he's a lawyer, and if you're a lawyer in here, I'm sorry, but like the profession holds, right? The lawyer's like, well, who's my neighbor, right? And so he's trying to put these boundaries around who can I love, who can I not love? And so Jesus tells him the parable of the good Samaritan, right? And he says, well, who is the neighbor, says the Samaritan. The idea here leading up to, towards the end of Luke chapter 10 is Jesus is in full-fledged rabbi teacher mode, okay? Jesus is full-fledged. He's got a mission. His mission is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is here. And he says, repent and get in line with it. And he is in full-on teacher. He is expounding on the kingdom. He is saying every good thing, and people are starting to gather, and they're starting to want to listen to him, and so Jesus is becoming a hot commodity. Now, before we jump into the story, I want to say, if you've, if, if this is your first time here, or this is your first time kind of in a church for a long time, I want to say today, you actually may have a leg up on us who, who have been here before, because my guess is if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this story. And you may have heard this story applied in a way that is kind of heavy or condemning. We, we don't want to do that. Like, like we don't want to do that. But what I want to pray, and I'm praying right now, even with my eyes open, because you can do that, right? My prayer right now is like, Lord, give us the ability to hear this story like we've never heard it before, right? Or give us the ability to encounter this and you anew, afresh, right? So we begin. So Jesus is full teacher mode. He's gathering. People are coming, right? And it says, right, we go, he's teaching everybody, and he goes, it says, now, as they went on their way, right, so they're walking and they're going, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. We'll know from John chapter 11 and John chapter 12 that the village is called Bethany. It's right on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So the story of Mary and Martha, and some of you can go, over here, oh, yes, this is the story where Jesus says that it's bad to work. No, this is not that story, right? It's not that. But let's, let's unpack it, okay? So Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher, this up and coming, right? And he's gaining a following, and everybody wants to be around him. And Jesus has a friend named Martha, and Martha has a sister named Mary, and Mary and Martha have a brother called Lazarus. When we get to John chapter 11, we see that Lazarus is dead, and Jesus raises him from the dead. So these are some of Jesus's close friends. We can assume, we can kind of guess and surmise from the text, this woman Martha is probably a widow, and she is probably a woman of some means, and we know that because she's bringing them into her house. Okay, she is playing host. Now, this would have been an honored position. This would have been an honored opportunity to bring in, to play host, to show hospitality to a well-respected, up-and-coming teacher. So she gets there, and she is so excited. So what she does is she plays the role of host. Now, you can look at Martha and go, oh, that's so industrious of her. She's playing the role, and she's the hostess. Not so much. It was no other way that it could have conceivably been thought of to do it. That was the woman's role. The women did the domestic stuff. The women played host. And we can bet that Martha was good. I don't think that this was the kind of deal where Jesus was like, Martha, I'm going to show up. And Martha's like, oh, but I don't have anything in the fridge. Martha wanted Jesus there. And she wanted his disciples there. So she's there, and she's scurrying around, and she's being the consummate host. Listen, side note, as the church, which is us, hospitality is a vital component 
of what we do. Whoever is like, and I believe there is a spiritual gift of hospitality. I believe there is a spirit. My mother-in-law has a spiritual gift of hospitality. I believe, man, when you show up into her house, she is on and you feel loved and you feel seen and you feel comfortable. And it is a powerful gift. Not everybody has the gift of hospitality, but everybody as a Christian, as a believer, has a responsibility to be hospitable, right? And so Martha is hosting Jesus. She is hospitable. She is serving. She is meeting his needs. She is doing all of these things, and she is doing exactly what is expected of her. Culture had said that that's what a woman's role is. And then we have Mary. And what does the scripture tell us that Mary is doing? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, right? So Martha's like, oh, I'm going to go make the bread and do the fish. And Martha's like, I'm going to sit right here. Now you look at it, right? And we look at that and go, oh, man, is she like sitting in the recliner? At the feet of Jesus doesn't just mean positionally on the floor. To describe a person as being at the feet of Jesus is to say that they are a disciple. Now, Women in the first century were more than welcome to sit behind their husbands at synagogue and listen to Torah and hear it. It was utterly unthinkable for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi. So when we're told that Martha goes to serve and Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, what you can imagine is, oh, that's awkward. That's just weird. Everybody's a little bit uncomfortable in the room because Mary is not doing what she's supposed to to do she's breaking convention culturally would have said mary what's wrong with you and especially a woman with a past like mary they would have said mary you got to get your stuff together you got to get you got to go help martha right you got to do that but she's sitting with the disciples she's sitting at jesus's feet and she's not like taking a nap she's not lounging she's listening to jesus jesus is being a teacher jesus is being a rabbi jesus is talking about the kingdom all of these things are happening there's this buzz stirring and mary's like that that's the thing. Get your own buns, Martha, right? And so there's this so there's this moment, right? And we got that. So now we go verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted. Doesn't say Mary was distracted. Mary was focused. Mary had a laser beam eye on Jesus. And Martha, it says, is distracted by serving. So as Martha gets wound up in kind of the role that she's supposed to play. And there's not, I don't get a, you don't get a sense, right? And I read a bunch of commentaries this week and a lot of people way smarter than me, kind of what they had to say about this passage. And there's, at this point, there's, there's not sense that Jesus said, hey, Martha, go, go do that, right? This is just what she was supposed to do. She was being dutiful. She did exactly what everyone expected her to do. She is attending to the needs of Jesus, but she's distracted. You ever feel like that? You're doing your job, you're doing your role, you're going through life, and you're just distracted. And there's all kinds of things where she could be distracted, right? I got to take the buns out of the oven, and I got to stir the macaroni and cheese, and I got to do all, I got to do all the things. And I host, she's running around, and she's got a bunch on it. So the question is like, what is she distracted from? What could she possibly be distracted from that would make its way in the story? She's probably not distracted from the chores. She's not distracted from the things. She's not distracted from the stuff. She's distracted from Jesus. She wants Jesus. 
She wants Jesus in the room. And so she's doing what she knows how to do. She's doing what she's been told she's supposed to do. If you host the guy, then you get to be with the guy. So she is working for Jesus, and she is sitting there, and she is doing all that, and Jesus is there, and she is distracted. Look, so now we go to verse B, the second part of that. Um, And she went up to him, to Jesus, and she said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So Martha's doing her role, and she comes. She kind of accuses Mary, right? And what's great is, you want to talk about brazen, she doesn't just accuse Mary. She accuses Jesus. Don't you care? So here's what we can assume, right? So Martha's doing what she's supposed to do. Mary's not doing what she's supposed to do, and Martha's a little bit bitter. She's a little bit frustrated. Why am I playing the role, and she's not? And so what does she do? She goes to Jesus. She's like, Jesus, first of all, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? And don't you kind of feel like Martha had already answered that question in her own brain? When she says, don't you care, what she's really saying is, Jesus, you don't care. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had the courage to say that? Jesus, you've abandoned me. Jesus, if you were here, that wouldn't have happened. Jesus, how could this be? So unpack this, right? I'm helping. Why don't you tell my sister? So she is accusing Mary of what? She's accusing Mary of being lazy. She's she's accusing Mary of neglecting her duty. When she goes to Jesus and she says, don't you care? She's telling Jesus, Jesus, you need to tell my sister to be more like me. Jesus, she needs to be doing what I'm doing. And so we love to go to Jesus and tell Jesus what his disciples need to be doing. Jesus, how can those Presbyterians believe that about baptism? Jesus, how can those Pentecostals believe that Jesus, tell him to be more like me. Tell him to be more in control. But man, when we get to her comments with Jesus and you unpack it like there's something raw and vulnerable and beautiful and important. Why would Mary be frustrated because she's got a sense that she's, or why would Martha be frustrated? She's got a sense that she's missing out on something. Jesus, I'm busy. Jesus, I'm tired. Jesus, I'm working my can off here. You don't seem to notice. Jesus, I've been sweating and laboring, and you're about to have the best cinnamon rolls you've ever had in your stinking entire life, but I've missed something, Jesus, and I've got it. And so what what Martha thinks, Martha believes that it's somebody else's responsibility, uh, it's somebody else's fault why she's missing Jesus. Jesus, if only Mary were doing what I'm doing, if only Mary were more like me, then the work would get done faster, and then we could all have Jesus. Then we could all do it. And so she just assumed Jesus was like her. She assumed Jesus was kind of like forgetful and, you know, right? All the time you see the disciples telling Jesus what to do, like he's not the creator of all things, right? And they're like, no, we know that you're God, but I still think you should just listen to me on this, right? Good. So she just tells Jesus, Jesus, I'm exhausted. Jesus, I'm really worn out. Jesus, I have been serving you all day long and nobody else cares. There is nobody, Jesus, who cares about you like I do. Look at how I'm sweating. Look at how I'm working. Look at all I've given up, Jesus, and you don't care. 
If you cared, you would tell Mary to come with me to do what I do. Now, be very careful. We need to tread this, treat this like we're on holy ground right here, right? Because what we see in Martha is something very important and very crucial and very close to each one of us. Are you ready? What we begin to see in Martha is this root of Phariseeism. What we see in Martha right now is the root of what we call legalism. And we just go, oh, Jesus is mad at Pharisees. and his Listen, there is a root of Phariseeism, of legalism in each of us. It's that thing in us that wants to treat Jesus as like he's coin-operated. Jesus, I said my prayers, and you didn't do what I was supposed to, what I wanted you to do. Jesus, I have been faithful to you. Jesus, I go to church. Jesus, I even go to Jason's church, and he talks so long, but I endure it, Jesus, for you. Because I care for you. Jesus, I prayed. I served. I gave. I show up. And what? She still died. He still left. I still got sick. I still got fired. I still what? And we get angry, just like Martha. We get angry with Jesus for not fulfilling our needs for not coming through for us, for not doing what we thought Jesus should do. And so when we look around then and we see other people and we get frustrated and we get angry at them, like, Jesus, why are you dealing with them? Why do you treat that person like that? Jesus, why does that person get the things that I so desperately want? Lord, why is it okay for them to have that car, that house, that job, that whatever? And I'm here Sweating and working for you, Jesus. So at this point, it's really important to identify the problem in the story is not serving. The problem in the story is not activity. The problem in the story isn't that Martha is cooking for Jesus. The point in the story is that whatever it is that distracts us from Jesus is an idol. Even serving Jesus can be an idol. When you say, I will serve, and you don't say this, but when we walk through, I mean, we just go, I will serve Jesus because then he'll do what I want. If I just give a little more, then he'll be faithful to me. And listen, there are entire theological systems built on this, right? Just so 10%, give us 10%, and then you have a seed of faith, and then all the money. Hogwash. Jesus cannot be manipulated. He is God. He is the ruler. He is the king. He doesn't work for me. I don't get to have Jesus on the payroll. Now, the good news is he's really good. And he really loves you. And he really wants every good thing for you. But our religion can become an idol. Our religion can be the thing that distracts us and keeps us from God. When I get angry because Jesus doesn't obey me, I have made religion an idol. I have made my attendance at church an idol. I have made my service, my giving, my quiet time, my theology, my doctrine. I have made an idol of that. 
Your job can be an idol. When we say, I can't go to church slash small group slash serve slash this because I'm too busy because I work all the time. That's the thing that you have allowed to distract you from Jesus. I'm not taking attendance here. I'm not talking about me, about you answering anything to me. I'm talking about you and Jesus. I'm talking about in 2022, we may be the most distracted generation ever. And it's not enough to just go, I don't want to be distracted anymore. We got to know why we're distracted. We got to know what's distracting us. And we got to know how to get away from it. And we see this in Martha. Martha had made serving Jesus an idol. And so we can make money and I will just go, well, I'll give when I have more. I'll, I'll take a day off. I'll Make Sunday non-negotiable so I can go to church and I can go to whatever it is. I'll do that when I have more. We can make our good behavior an idol. Did you know that you can take your self-righteousness, your good behavior, your doctrine, you can make an idol of that? When we in our minds say, I do it Jesus' way because I read the Bible because I'm mature, whatever. I do it Jesus' way. And so anybody who doesn't do it like me is doing it wrong. And we may tolerate that, but we certainly don't invite it in. We certainly don't host it. In fact, sometimes if we're a little further down the Pharisee legalistic road, we can kind of get mad at Jesus for inviting them in in the first place. Jesus, I'm not really sure I could let anybody who behaves like, looks like, acts like, thinks like that I'm not even sure I should let them around, Jesus, because I am so good and I am so worried that I left, if I let people who are bad or different in, then what, Jesus? Maybe you'll go. Maybe you'll leave. So any Christian that follows Jesus should look just like me, should do it my way, should sing the songs, should vote the votes, should work the job, should do this, should have that. So Martha is confronting Jesus and she's confronting Mary, and now it's weird, and you can imagine the room, right? Have you ever been in a room where that happens, where somebody comes in and just blows up, right? And Martha's like, Jesus, don't you care that Mary's not doing this? And why don't you just tell her to help me? And Peter's like, right? So it's awkward. He's like, so John, did you see the football game, the fish? I'm just waiting, right? And so what does Jesus do? Now the options are here. Jesus could go, Martha, I'm so sorry. Martha, oh, you're right. Mary, get up. Why don't you just go, why don't you just go help your sister? Mary, it's fine. Just a little bit. I'll be here. Like, I'll wait. You're right. He could, do that. he could yell at Martha. All kinds of different ways. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. The repetition is important. It conveys gentleness. It conveys empathy. Martha. Martha, listen. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Listen, Jesus sees her. Jesus knows her. He knows where her heart is. Jesus isn't, he's not put off by her. He understands you are anxious and you are troubled by many things. Hey, real quick, if you were in a room with Jesus, would he say that about you? You're troubled about so many things. Man, you're troubled about the economy and you're worried about elections and you're worried about your job and you're a teacher and you're worried about parents or you're an administrator and you're worried about that one parent who's going to come back again and they're going to want to fight you and you don't want to fight them and you're just worried or you're worried about your kids and maybe they're sick or, or you don't know what's going on and you're just, you're just worried and you come in and you, you, you got this pent-up anger and frustration and so you walk in and you just get frustrated. Jesus like, Jesus, why aren't you doing something? And Jesus just 
looks in your eyes and says, you are worried about so many things. You have so much on your heart and on your mind and, and on your brain. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Jesus never said serving was bad. Jesus never said, Martha, you're dumb. He never said, Martha, stop making sandwiches. He didn't say, Martha, you're better. He just said, she's chosen. There's a choice. There's a path. There's a way. And he says, she has chosen what is good. And so here's this frustrated, anxious, overwhelmed Martha. And she's worried. And what does Jesus tell her? The same thing that he tells us. Our worry and our anxiety are warnings that something important is missing. If you're anxious about the future, you're missing something. If you're depressed about the past, you're missing something. If you are anxious in this moment, you're missing something. What are you missing? You're missing Jesus. You're missing the good thing. You're missing the better thing. And Mary gets it. And there is this dangerous, there's this warning for us that it is entirely possible to work for Jesus, to work really hard for Jesus, and to miss him. It is impossible to give your life to doing things for Jesus, to, for, to feeding people, to serving people, to volunteering in children's ministry. To, it's possible to do all of those things and miss Jesus. And Jesus won't tell the people who are content to stare at him to stop. He won't. Even when we want them to. Even when we tell them to. Jesus seems perfectly content to let Mary be a disciple and not a hostess. This is important. Listen, in a world today that runs 100 miles a minute, that judges you based on your, the job that you do, on the performance that you do, on what your kids look like and how your kids perform and behave and how much money you have and all the things that you do, and a culture that decides and determines who you are based on everything out here. Listen, are you listening to me? Jesus does not consider your busyness a badge of honor. Jesus does not think that your fatigue is really, really neat. Jesus isn't up there in heaven going, geez, Jason, I don't know what, what we would do without you. Hurry up and get back so that the kingdom can go on. For six weeks before that, six Sundays, I took off and didn't preach. And I, Six weeks was a lot. Of, I don't know if I'll do that again or whatever. And it was very nice and poor. But here's what I say. One of the very first things that I feel like Jesus talked to me about on my six-month break is, Jason, it's real neat that you're doing all that. But I haven't called you to the edge of extinction every year. The systems that you have created in your life, Jason, are perfectly designed to give you the fruit that you're seeing. And the fruit that you see in your life, Jason, is fatigued and tired. And all of those things lead to cranky. They lead to all kinds of bad fruit. Jesus does not celebrate the fact that I am so busy for him. Jesus looks at us and says, the one at my feet, the disciple, that's the good part. He didn't say it's bad. Listen, this, is not, this, this thing is not about the fact that Martha was cooking cinnamon rolls for Jesus. 
The point of this is because Martha was cooking cinnamon rolls, she saw that and she got aggressive and angry with Mary because Mary wasn't doing what she did. This story is about us standing in judgment on the disciples of Jesus and telling them that they need to be more like us, telling them that they need to behave more like us. Jesus, make them more like me. And Jesus says, no, I want to make you more like me. And Jesus didn't ever seem to be hurried. Jesus didn't ever seem to be rushed. Jesus didn't ever seem to be driven by the roar of the crowd or people's acclaim. This is a story about worship. Martha, if you're overwhelmed, then sit at my feet. Jesus didn't ask Martha for cinnamon rolls. Martha, if you don't like what's going on out there, don't yell at the people who are trying to find Jesus. Don't yell at the people who are trying to sit and understand and listen and get close to Jesus. You come sit here too. Oh, but what will people think? If that's your question, then you're going to have to figure it out. The question should be, what does Jesus think? Because people are going to think what they think, whatever it is that you do. People are going to think what they think because what they think is not based on any reality. So what if we just say, but I need to be at Jesus' feet. See, that's where real life starts. The journey to real life only begins at the feet of Jesus. Our process begins at the feet of Jesus. Our process, you want to know what I hope people encounter when they come here? I hope that people walk out those doors and go, listen, I can't explain it, but I feel like there was more than what was going on. I feel like I met Jesus today. Those people are neat. I hope they come here and they go, man, those people are neat. The songs that they sing are good. That lady, Sonia, she's a great worship leader. That was so great. They were neat. The children's ministry was great. Those people are neat, but boy, do they serve an outstanding, amazing God. If people come here and they get me and that's all they get, they should have stayed home. But if we come here and through our songs, we focus our eyes on Jesus. And through the word, we find Jesus inviting us, calling us prophetically out of a life that is so controlled and consumed by the need to be busier than everybody else that we celebrate it. We go, what is it? How are you? How are you doing? I'm so busy. Oh, I'm so, ask a teenager. Go down and ask a teenager. Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm what? Tired. Go to bed, man. No, really, go to bed. Hey, are are you exhausted? Stop. Don't do it. Just change something. Oh, but I can't. Why? I can't afford my house. Other houses. Get a smaller one. Then you don't even have to heat it or cool it. Oh, but I have all my car payment. Pay it off. Or sell it. Listen, whatever you can't say no to, that's what you're a slave of. That's what owns you. And here's the thing about your job that you're giving your life to. When you die, they're going to replace you in a week. The work has going to go on. You don't, right? Whatever it is. Me, in River City grad, I love River City. Someday I'm going to die, and they're going to throw me in a hole, and they're going to eat potato salad, and we're going to find someone else, and we're going to keep going. That's the gig. I know that's the gig. I'm not upset by it. I'm not freaked out by it. I know that's the gig. What I've got to do then is just go, okay, so how does this fit into everything else that's going on? Because if I get this and miss Jesus, I'm going to spend an eternity wishing that I hadn't. So I have an opportunity right now to go first 
Jesus. Now, here's the thing. As I read the story about Jesus, I don't find that Jesus sat in his recliner and ate potato chips all week, right? I don't find that. I think that Jesus did really important things. I think what Jesus did was change the course of history and split the calendar in half. So Jesus is no lazy schlub. Jesus just knows you can work with his power or you can work with yours. Yours is small and finite and runs out. His, it's like the burning bush, it's, right? The bush was not consumed. You know why? In Exodus chapter 3, you know why the bush wasn't consumed? It's because it wasn't actually burning the bush. It was burning with the Spirit of God. That's why it was holy ground. So why don't you go to your job burning with the Spirit of God? And guess what? Things will look different when you do. Because Jesus is worried about Mary. Martha's worried about cinnamon rolls. Your job is worried about widgets and bottom lines. And I believe that God cares about those things too, not primarily. Money is a great thing to have. It's a terrible God. It's a terrible master. And it's a terrible driver. Jesus came to show us how to be fully human. John 10.10, right? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life, abundant life person of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the reason it's so important that Jesus came in the flesh, because Jesus in the flesh, fully God, fully man, what Jesus shows us in the flesh is that it is possible for divinity and humanity to coexist in the same place. Jesus shows us that you can have that same kind of relationship. Jesus shows us that you can live that kind of life, full and abundant and overflowing. Jesus says, I will give it to you. And so when we read Jesus saying, I will give you abundant life, and then we see him telling Martha, Martha, it's not in the kitchen, it's at my feet. It's an invitation to all of us. Jesus said, I read it last week before our, uh, before our confession. Jesus stands up in the crowd and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and who labor, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke, right? You put oxen in it. A big, old, strong one who knows how to go, right? Who's able to pull the plow and able to keep straight, who knows what he's doing. And then you put this other little young buck ox, right? He wants to kick and freak out all the time. But the old one, he's not freaked out. He's not worried. He's just going to keep walking that straight line. And so eventually the young one goes, oh, that's what this is for. This is what I do. Jesus says, take my yoke. Learn from me. Get connected to me. Walk with me, Lord. He says, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Martha did not experience a light burden that day when Jesus was in her house. And what she encountered was Jesus saying, that's not my burden you're carrying. Is it fine to make cinnamon rolls for Jesus? Of course it is. Unless it distracts you from him. And then Jesus will never say, oh, I guess we can spend time together if you've done all your chores. That's not how it goes. So what I want to do for just the next two or three minutes, I want you to take a minute, and I just want to evaluate. I want to search our hearts. So if you, whatever you need to do to get into a space with Jesus, you need to close your eyes, you need to spread out a little bit, get a seat between you so that you can lean over. And I just want you, into, in your heart, I just want you to get quiet. In your heart, I want you to say the name of Jesus. Just say Jesus. Give yourself some space. And I want you to ask Jesus to show you your own heart. 
Jesus, what are the things that are distracting me from you? And I want to tell you, Jesus is gentle. Jesus is kind. Jesus is loving. Jesus will never take from you something that he created and intended to give you life. So Jesus, what is it that distracts me from you? Jesus, how can I be more like Mary? Jesus, I thank you that you are different from our culture. You don't celebrate me dying on the altar of activity. Jesus, you don't need my sacrifice. You made the sacrifice. Everything that I need is in you. And so, Jesus, as we talk about being for our community, as we talk about being for our neighbors, talk about being for our schools and our families and our communities and our neighborhoods, as we talk about being that, Lord, What we need, what our community needs is to sit at your feet as disciples. So I pray, Jesus, that you would give each of us the courage to come to you today. To just come unencumbered. To come with our hands wide open. And I pray that we would know you, Jesus. Jesus, I confess You said, we saw last week, you called us to repent, to change our mind and to change our direction. And Jesus, I confess to you that I have made a badge of honor out of busyness. I feel like if I tell people I'm busy or I'm tired, that then they'll think that I'm really doing something. Then I'm valuable. Then I'm worth it. Jesus, I confess that as sin to you and I repent. May I never again celebrate that which you have come to deliver me from. And I pray, Jesus, that you would make your church, this congregation, a prophetic witness of your love. I pray that we would live in rest. I pray that we would live in your presence. I pray that we would spend abundant time at your feet. I pray that we would learn gentleness, Jesus, and humility. Jesus, I pray that we would leave the Marys in our life alone. All those Marys who aren't doing it right, who are doing things that we don't understand, who are doing things that I think you should be mad at. Jesus, give me the courage to leave Mary alone, even to learn from Mary what it is to sit at your feet. And Jesus, I pray that this place, this congregation, would be a place where your presence is tangible. I pray that you would meet us, not just here in this room, but in our lives as we are going. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified by everything that we say and do, Jesus. We don't want to be more like Martha. Ultimately, we don't even want to be more like Mary. We want to be more like you, who made time to sit at the Father's feet and listen and hear from him. May we hear from you today. 
Jesus, we ask all of these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.